for episode 100, I had the opportunity to sit down and have a chat with Pete Quinones from Free Man Beyond the Wall and also managing editor at the libertarianinstitute.org. It feels good to say that. I'm happy for Pete. I have been a fan of his for quite a while now. I think I ran into Pete on Twitter when he was at like episode 89 and he is going up, he is nearing 400 episodes now. So he's, uh, he's really pushing it, but we had a chance to sit down and for episode 100, I thought it was only appropriate to talk about a damn subject I had not covered yet in any grave detail. So Pete and I, as you guess, talked about the police. Those damn red coats. Get them fucking red coats out of our fucking country. And we had a really good conversation. We have a I have a lot of respect for Pete. I assume he has some amount of respect for me. Ha ha ha. Yes, that was a joke, ladies and gentlemen. If you do not recognize it, you are in the wrong place. Um, but before we get to our episode, I want to take this moment to let you know that the reason you do not hear any music bringing us into our episode this week is because some changes are being made. New recording equipment is being procured and there will be new sounds and there will be new people, new guests, new Tommy. You will not recognize me anymore. I will not be the same man. I will be super anarchist Tommy, if that makes any fucking sense. Anyway, some of the music is going to be provided by a good friend of the show, Tom Burton, who is an anarchist and a musician. Stand in Line will be the most prominent song you probably hear on this podcast, intro and outro. He has other songs, Killing for Uncle Sam, Rage of War, Political, and Disposable Soldiers. Our other sponsors are BossBroDiamonds.com. That is BossBroDiamonds.com. For all your dabbing essential needs, go to BossBroDiamonds.com. Whether you want picks, beanies, pike, hoodies. Why is my computer making noises in the middle of me advertising BossBroDiamonds.com? That was not a BossBroDiamonds.com ad that just popped up on my screen. But it should have been BossBroDiamonds.com because I want to just dab it. BossBroDiamonds.com, just dab it. Get over there. All your dabbing lifestyle essentials are at BossBroDiamonds.com. I think I said that enough to where you can remember BossBroDiamonds.com. If you don't remember BossBroDiamonds.com by now, I don't know what to tell you because there's no way I can say BossBroDiamonds.com any more than I've already said BossBroDiamonds.com. But go over to the BossBroDiamonds.com when you're not too busy reading at the LibertarianInstitute.org. And when you're reading at the LibertarianInstitute.org, you're going to run into people like Sheldon Richmond, Scott Horton, Pete Quinones, Kyle Anzalon, Mike Meharry, Jim Bovard, and apparent every once in a while you get a little piece of me over at the libertarianinstitute.org. So go over to the libertarianinstitute.org and make sure you are keeping up with all your libertarian reading necessities. And if you're into foreign policy, go to antiwar.com. That is antiwar.com. Then I don't know why I'm talking this fast. This is not an auction. I am not selling you. Everybody knows that the place to go for foreign policy is antiwar.com. And if you are interested in why in the world would the Taliban and the United States government sign a treaty 
guaranteeing that all United States troops are pulled out of Afghanistan within the next 14 months, you probably want to spend some time at antiwar.com. And, well, here's my episode with Pete Quinones. Okay, so let's see how this is sounding. I am with Pete Quinones from Free Man Beyond the Wall and the LibertarianInstitute.org. Are we still sounding all right? Sounds good, man. Awesome. All right. So I was looking into your article about um, the public police service versus the private police service earlier. And uh, you brought up Shamrim and you brought up Dale Brown. But before we get to that, you had uh, you had mentioned the the idea that people believe when they are pulled over by a police officer that they are having an informal conversation with the police. So get into that detail just a little bit because I think it's really important for people to understand what the police role is when they are pulled over in a traffic stop. Okay, this isn't out of my own head. I got this from former police officer Rayford Davis, um, other police officers. uh, Pat from Uncensored Tactical has uh, said this too. Basically, they have something what they call building the stop. Whenever you get pulled over, whatever it's for, if it's for speeding, broken taillight, thing like that, they're looking for other things to tack on to it. Now, this isn't everywhere. Okay, if you live in a small town and you went to high school with the police officer, you know, with the deputy, things are going to be probably different. You guys are probably, you know, he's probably maybe going to let you go with a warning or, you know, you guys are going to start cursing at each other and he knows you, you don't pose a threat to him. But, you know, I live in a, I live in a bigger city. You know, I live right outside of Atlanta. And what they do is, and Rayford talked about this, he worked for North, North Charleston Police Department, which was actually one of the first formal police departments in the whole country. And, and that's a whole different podcast. But because um, that's where the slave catcher uh, um, <coughs> patrols came out of. But what he said is they're building the stop. They're looking for anything, you know. And at this point, um, courts have ruled they can, if they just say they can smell, they smell marijuana, they can get you out of the car, uh, let the, you know, let the dog go in there. Uh, there was a report done. It was like 82% of the time the dog reports on something, but it's something like 10. It's only 10 to 20% of the time where they're actually right. So basically these aren't your friends i mean they're they're looking for something to stick you with and their job depends on you writing tickets i had john ba- i had john basa on the show uh, he is a former police officer he was new york new york city nypd um he moved to florida and joined another department and he by that time he had become a libertarian and he decided look i'm going to police like a libertarian would i'm only going to look for crime i'm only going to police crimes with a victim uh he answered all the questions about taking taxpayer money and everything like that forget it you know i mean that's right. a whole different argument but he decided he was going to do yeah he said look I, he's an anarchist now he you know but he wasn't an anarchist then so he went down there he had the best um the best arrest rate on open violent crimes he would he had a shift where he would stay over it was an overnight shift and overnight he would just be studying this he'd be looking he'd be making contacts and he only arrested people who actually did violent things you know he would go if he went into a domestic dispute or something like that he would do everything to um to defuse it and not one yeah he doesn't want to arrest these people you know it's bad enough that they're that they're they're dirty laundries out in public now and everything but he was he was down there for three years had an insane clearance rate for violent crimes and he ended up getting run out of the department because he wasn't writing tickets so what does that tell you about what their job is i mean we're not even going into you know swat raids and things like that i mean that's for later but just it tells you that they are there to generate income. Think about it. Here's how absurd it is. Cop pulls you over. You weren't wearing your seatbelt. That means you owe us money now. 
How ridiculous is that? I mean, just think about it. People don't – they have this cognitive dissonance where they know how the world works. They think they know how the world works, and the world works this way. Mm-hmm. Seatbelt laws were passed in the 1980s. By the way, who passed? Who, who lobbied for the seatbelt laws? Car insurance companies and health insurance companies because they, and they're they the only ones. These laws weren't passed to keep you safe. These laws were passed to keep you safe but to lower uh, – cost of writing out uh, um, writing out what's the money they give out for insurance uh, insurance claims right on um, you know on mostly the health most mostly health insurance companies that's what they did they lobbied it they did it in California which is a petri dish for every um, ridiculous draconian law and then it spread all over the place and by the 90s you had to wear a seatbelt every state has to wear a seatbelt I mean some states like I think my state you don't have to wear seatbelts if you're in a truck or something like that or some stupid ridiculous uh, exception but that's what they're looking that, that's their whole job the cop that gets behind you and you know another great thing to ask people is when a cop pulls up behind you do you feel safe or do you feel paranoid I mean, yeah. nobody's like, oh, my God, thank God, the, the cop's behind me with his lights on, and sh- I really feel safe. No, why do you feel paranoid? Because you feel like you've done something. And now a guy with a gun and qualified immunity, which means that they can kill you if they feel like their their life is in danger, and they're not going to – nothing's going to happen to them. Right. Nothing's going to happen to them. They're not going to get sent to jail. They may lose their job, and they'll probably be allowed to quit, and they'll go work for another department. Um, so it's what Rayford told me was they're building the stop. They're pulling you over. If you don't have your seatbelts on, then it's going to be like, oh, do you you have any guns in the car? They're going to start asking you questions. And if you're stupid, you're going to start answering them. You know, just shut up. Every lawyer will tell you to shut up. James Dwayne, who wrote the book, um, you have the right to remain innocent. He does all of these seminars where he, the first thing he does is ask, he says, is there anybody in this room whose parent who's a parent or has a relative that's close to them that's law enforcement or a prosecutor? And a couple of raise his hands. He's never had one. He, and he always asks him one question. When, did, did your parents, did your relatives tell you if you're ever pulled over by the police, if you're ever questioned by law enforcement or any kind of authority, are you to answer their questions? He's never had somebody who was related to law enforcement or prosecution say, yes, I was allowed to answer questions. Just no, shut up and call your relative. Right. So what does that tell you? I mean, the, that whole book is a must read. It's a very short book. I, I did the audio book. Uh, I have the print version as well. All it is is case after case after case where people answered questions and got them and lost decades of their lives, even though they were innocent. They just they they were asked a hundred questions. They answered ninety eight right. They answered two that made it look like they could possibly have been guilty. They threw out all the ninety eight right answers, concentrated on those two, handed it over to the prosecutor. Now the person lost decades of their life, and they're in, they were completely innocent. I mean, I mean this is, <laughs> and a lot of this. A lot of this, so much of it. I mean, most people's interactions with police officers are getting pulled over. Just shut up. Just shut up. And if you want to fight the ticket in court, do whatever and everything. But don't answer questions. Don't allow them. Say, no, I don't consent to a search. You know, stuff like that. I mean, it's just, it. they're, they're, not, <laughs> they're not there to keep you safe. No one feels safe when a cop pulls up behind them. I mean, no one, I mean, maybe insane people do, but. I don't. Well, one of the one of my favorite comments that you've ever made, uh, and and you had actually written it in this article as well, is that police are historians. They're there to to figure out what happened and to to build a case. They're not there to stop a crime. They're not there to protect you. And and I like I like that I like the way that you frame it. They're historians. They're looking in the past. They're not looking at the present they're not taking into consideration your um your life and circumstances of life that possibly you can't you know foresee in the future they're they're there just to see what you did in the past and and to charge you with a crime they're looking to make you a criminal 
Well, and this is, again, I've been told this straight from the horse's mouth. I've spent a lot of time on gun forums on the internet. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those gun forums are just loaded with police officers. And they will tell you, go get training, buy a gun, go get training, because we're not going to be there in time. Every single one will tell you. Chances are we're only going to be able to stop a crime, uh, be there in time 5% of the time. And that's usually domestic stuff. So, I mean, you're on your own. And, yeah, so what? if you do call the cops, what are you calling the cops? I've been robbed. And then they come here and they take information. And (laughs) at this point, it's like I remember I had my my bank account hacked. Mm -hmm. And they, they told me, they said, well, you know, we'll put the, you know, we have insurance, we'll put the money back in there, but you have to file a police report. You know, and it's like, and I, that's the last thing I wanted to do was call a cop and, and talk to him. And, but I did, you know, and they didn't, they, you know, they, they flat out told me, they said, you know, and I've told this story before, you know, I saw, I, I filled out a report. I saw the guy a couple, a week, two weeks later, um, just by accident. And I said, Hey, did you, you know, you, you remember me? Did you ever find out who stole that money out of my account? He's like, Oh yeah, it was somebody, you know, over in Norcross, a couple towns over from me. I said, Oh, so did you get him? He's like, no, we're not allowed to arrest him. You're getting your money back. Right. I mean, <laughs> so, I mean, think about it. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good gig. If you can, if you know how to hack people's you know, cards, if you can steal their, their numbers, or you can hack their accounts or anything like that. It's a pretty good gig. They're not going to arrest you, I guess, unless you it's the wrong person. You know, if you hack a politician or a lawyer or, you know, a police officer or something or police, you know, somebody related to those people. But, you know, someone like me who doesn't want anything to do with, you know, just a regular schmo, they, they don't yeah. care. You know, it's, they're not going to stop that person from ever doing it again. So it's just I mean, they're, you know, it's like you said, they're historians. They, they, they show up after a crime. Um, they take down what the story is, the story, the story that you give them. And then, you know, good luck. If it, if you were, if you were assaulted, good luck them finding the person. If you, if, you know, I, I had a car stolen from me 20 years ago. Um, they, they found it, but they never found who, who mm-hmm. did it. So it's just good luck. You know, I mean, that's, that's all they do. I mean, they, obviously, you know, with the story about John Besa and everything, um, they don't care they don't really care that you know somebody's clearing any open crimes you know they just want them out there writing tickets yeah uh, and one of the things i've had to deal with because because i'm a truck driver is you know my wife's at home by herself a lot and we had an we had an instance a few years ago where she called the police and they were like oh, yeah we'll call the guy and and what had happened was we needed somebody to mow our lawn while I was gone for a couple of weeks. And so we needed somebody to show up and mow our lawn. So, you know, she called a guy that my mom had known and not knew well, but she had used in the past. And he came over and he mowed the lawn and put a rock through the windows. So my wife had to come home from work and... He saw her and I guess he was attracted to my wife. So he started texting her regularly, just constantly harassing her. And one day my wife woke up in the morning and he had texted her and she was like, you know what, man? Like, I'm not interested in talking to you. I'm happily married. I I have no interest in speaking with you. And, you know, she stole a line from Friday. It was just like, bye, Felicia. And the guy goes, Felicia? I'm not Felicia. I'm at least nine inches and sent her a fucking dick pic unsolicited whatsoever, complete sexual assault. And the police showed up and said, yeah, we'll, uh, we know who it is. We'll call the guy and, and we'll, we'll tell him, well, I, I was like, well, that's not good enough for me. You know, I live in a small town, you know, a few thousand people. I called the local newspaper and talked to a journalist and, and told them to put out a, a report on this guy's, you know, uh, landscaping business. Because I was like, the police aren't going to do anything about this. What are they going to do? Yeah, don't don't be sending pictures anymore. But this guy had a, a rap sheet as long as my arm for armed robbery and burglary and 
sexual assault and all these other things. And it's like, yeah, you're just going to let this dude run around because that's what y'all do. Y'all aren't here to actually do anything other than pose, you know, impose this vision upon the public that you're possibly making them safer. Yeah, I mean, at that point, all you can really do is try to damage the person's reputation. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that that's what would happen in a libertarian exactly. society, you know, because I don't I don't think sending somebody a dick pic would be considered a crime in a libertarian society. But you know, you can damage someone's reputation. You know, I think in an open society, reputation would be everything. Yeah, and I'm not saying so. I'm not saying social credit score kind of thing. I'm just saying, yeah, I know that guy. He's honest. Never, never cheated me. You know, or you know, that guy's a complete creeper. You know, so yeah, I think I think that makes sense. You know, I mean, because yeah, the police aren't going to do anything. Police aren't going to do anything about that. That's not that's not a crime to them. They do that. I mean, it, I mean the the amount of police that are that are getting arrested for sexual worse than that. I mean, sending dick pics. I mean, I'm talking about. Two New York City police department, uh, two New York City police officers arrest an 18-year-old girl for weed, handcuff her, throw her in a van, and then they take turns on her and say, "Well, she asked for it." Mm. Now, first of all, okay, say she did ask for it. You're on the job. Mm-hmm. You're you're on the clock. What there is no there is no rule or law or or ordinance against having sex with a handcuffed. Um, suspect in your police vehicle while you're on the clock right i mean these guys walked these guys walked you know i mean and and i i actually think it was rape because i believe her i've read i I was reading that that story as soon as it happened um but even if she said okay well you guys if you i'll let you both of you have sex with me if you let me go well they're allowed to do that apparently I mean that's insane. You, you know there are there are laws popping up. People um, they're introducing ordinances all over the place in police departments saying police should not be allowed to have sex with suspects in custody. Mm-hmm. Why does that have to be? Why does that have to be oh, passed? Why do you have to say it. What the hell is? What is going on in that in the in the law enforcement culture that something like that has to be actually like spoken? Well, (laughs) you know, that reminds me of that reminds me of that story I read a while back, man. And I got so fucking mad that 14 year old girl that went and reported that she had been raped and then the detective raped her. Yeah. Do you I I don't know if you remember that story, but that was that was one of those. That was one of the most infuriating stories I've ever read in my life. And it's so hard reading about these things because. You know, these kids and and young adults are taught you're supposed to trust these people. And and we're just sending our children right into the hands of predators in a lot of cases. Big mistake teaching teaching children to trust uh, law enforcement. It's just a really uh, I mean, um, Will Grigg, who you were telling me you were reading a lot of Will Grigg. uh, Will Grigg has a. An article. It's on Libertarian Institute, and I'm pretty sure it's in no tree, in no quarter. Uh, that is entitled "Teaching Your Kids to Trust the Police as Child Abuse." Mm. It's a great article. I mean, he just uses case after case after case after case of police, you know, going in and manhandling um, six-year-old autistic kids and ten-year-old kids who, um, you know, the cop put his hand on a ten-year-old kid, and the kid pulled back and kicked the cop. Well, that's assault. So the cop had to put him in. The cop had to put him in cuffs and take him in. And then yeah. when they, and then when the parents started getting the press involved, of course. And this was up in Massachusetts, you know, um, northern Massachusetts, one of the some of the whitest place on. The, I mean, they started. Oh, these people are obviously the parents are criminals. They've been teaching the the kids to disrespect the police. They're probably sympathetic to black lives matter. Right. And, you know, and, and that idiot on Fox news, who's not there anymore, Bill O'Reilly. Oh yeah. He picked uh up on the case and he, he picked up on the case and on, on, uh, 
on an evening, one of his episodes, he was just went off on the parent and everything. Oh my God. So you're teaching him these people are heroes. Do you, do you know how hard their job is? Then quit. I've quit hard jobs. Yeah. I've quit jobs where I just didn't want to do it. You know, somebody put out this hypothetical <coughs> yesterday, yesterday, if for the next 30 years you had to work 80 hours a week, but at the end, it was a really high stress job. But at the end of that, you got like $10 billion. Would you do it? And I was like, hell no. Hell no. I don't want that kind of, I, I want to be comfortable. I want to be nice. I don't want to have 16 hours every waking hour being stress-free. Right. Think about the person who, I mean, and cops say it's one of the most stressful jobs on the planet. Well, well, there's other stuff you could do where you can make more money. Yeah. There's other stuff you could do. Oh, but, oh, th but that's right. It's the benefits and it's the pension and it's, uh, and for a lot of them, it's being able to commit crimes and get away with it. Well, I, mean, and <laughs> I, I know cops. I mean, there's, they, they do side, they side hustle too. They do uh, things on the side where they're making like $80 an hour working as a security guard, you know, for the local waffle house or, or whatever, you know? So, so, like you said, the benefits are, are ridiculous in, in a lot of cases because you have these private businesses that will, you know, hire a cop off-duty to dress in his uniform and sit there for five hours and, you know, pay him a couple thousand dollars, you know, so. I mean, I work for a private company, um, not even, we're a large international company, but we're not even publicly traded anywhere. And I get the same kind of benefits. I get the same kind of benefits a government employee does. Oh, really? So if I can do it, I don't have a, I don't have a college degree. If I get down about 25 credits short, um, if I can do it, somebody else can do it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you don't have you don't have to carry a gun and you know seek to extort, extort your neighbor or terrorize you know shoot dogs all day. Right. You know, yeah. Or rape rape 18 year old girls i mean it just doesn't no no why would you want why would you want that well i mean in in the same in the same uh realm as what you're speaking of my mom doesn't even have a high school diploma doesn't even have a ged and she makes six figures a year yeah i mean it took her 30 plus years to do it but she figured it out you know what i'm saying so it it's it's not that it's impossible but one, one thing I want to touch on, man, and, and like these four paragraphs, I felt um, really encompassed Will Griggs' argument, like to the core. And it's from an article entitled In Praise of Rogue Cops. He says, as an institution, the police do not exist to defend life, liberty and property. That would be the role played by peace officers a population that is, for all intents and purposes, extinct. Police are given the task of enforcement. The imposition of rules devised by and on behalf of the wealth-devouring class. That role includes dispensing summary punishment against people who display anything other than instant, unqualified submission to them and to the political order they embody. Any material good that is done by a police officer is a renegade act given the nature and purposes of the institution that employs him. In any situation blighted by the presence of a police officer, that armed functionary's first priority is not to serve or to protect anybody. Sociologist James Q. Wilson, whose writings became something akin to canonical text for Rudolf Giuliani and other politicians and policymakers of an authoritarian Bent explains that a police officer's first priority is to impose authority on people who are unpredictable, apprehensive, and often hostile. That apprehension is an understandable reaction to the presence of an armed stranger of dubious character who demands unqualified submission. The hostility is predictable, entirely defensible, and generally commendable. Members of costumed enforcement class refer to it as contempt of cop and regard it as an offense subject to summary punishment through the application of state licensed violence, frequently of a lethal nature. 
and he goes on to explain. He was a poet. Yeah, man. I know. He's beautiful. He's written. Well, great. I wrote. I read some stuff today that just made me laugh when he was talking about people like armed with uh, armed with straws and spitballs, you know, and things of that nature. I just, you, know, <laughs> you just can't help but laugh. But my, I love the terms he would come up with for police officers. Um, I I stole one that I use all the time, uh, tax feeder, mm. and uh, but. We, were, we, I was in a private chat. We were trying to find, out, figure out what the funniest one he ever used for a police officer was, and we came up with donut furnace. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know, it, it's like one of those things where you read Will Gregg or you watch um, a debate that I just put up that he did in 2008 about the Iraq War. I, I, put I it watched on the that. Institute. That was very good. And, it, it was, and you just, and you really want to cry knowing that he's not with us anymore mm. because he was really, you know, it's Scott Horton says it, and I agree, he was the best of us. And, um, it, it's just, he, he, his, what, what do they call him? Uh, Thesaurus Rex. Yeah. Because of his vocab, because of his vocabulary, <laughs> it was just unbelievable. And he's just, his prose, it was just, I mean, n- no one ever wrote as infuriating articles so beautifully as he did. Right. Yeah, it was. I, I really enjoyed <laughs> he's, my he's three missed. hours this morning. I was like, oh, after I watched that debate, I was just like, okay, I got to read some more of his stuff, man. So I, I dove in this morning. He's a beautiful man. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he puts that in, in, in such a way, and he goes on to express in that article that the, the rogue officer is the officer that does right, you know, and. Um, in in other articles, he describes um, officers that actually follow through with investigating, you know, DA agents that you know abuse their power and this, that, and the other. And this gets to the heart of the entire matter: is that we have to deal with this authoritarian force. And then um, in your article, you mentioned Dale Brown, an entrepreneur, and he has a a quote along the lines, law enforcement is for people that uh, broke the law or chose to have laws enforced against them. So so the idea behind Dale Brown's vision ties in with the whole Will Grigg description of the police. But the question becomes, how do we opt out? How do we opt out of this system? Well, I mean, there's there's a couple ways, and uh, I mean, you really can't opt out at this point, uh, but you can make it so that they will won't pay attention to you. Uh, I have a friend, Mark, who lives about an hour north of here, and he lives in one of those communities that's you know, it's every house looks the same, and it's in a big circle and everything. There's probably like 120 houses, and they have private security. Yeah. And they pay for it. It's part of, you know, it's part of their dues and everything. And person, they have a person who, um, well, not just one, but, you know, different shifts that just patrol the community. And they don't do any kind of, they're not there for like, oh, your lawn looks terrible or something like that. That's the Yenses, you know, that's the Yenses that live there. But they're just there to look and make sure no one's breaking into anything. No one's committing, um, no one's come in there to commit violence. And really, if you can do that, if you can do what Dale Brown did, I mean, Dale Brown's story is absolutely amazing. I had him on the show. Uh, I mean, he <laughs> he actually used the term praxeology when he was on the show. He's like, oh, you know, really? praxeology is very important for what I do. And I'm just like, holy crap, you know. Um, and you know, he had an idea to start private security. So he went into the worst neighborhoods in Detroit and talked to the building owners and said, look. If me and my crew can patrol the streets and keep them safe and everything, yep, will you give us an apartment or something like that? And that's yeah. basically how they did it, how, how it all started out. And he just built it up and built it up. And he's built it up into this multi-million dollar business now where he has these communities that a, a lot of communities that he built up that were, you know, total trash. And now they're, you know, high dollar homes uh, in these areas. Mm-hmm. And he patrols them and he you know he said that he rarely he doesn't 
try to get the police involved, the, the monopoly police involved, unless he absolutely has to, or unless, you know, a customer demands it. Um, but if I lived in a community like that, you know, I mean, the community I live in right now, there's rarely any police officers around here. I never, you just rarely see them unless they're called, unless somebody calls them, they just don't come around. And I live in a, in a solidly middle-class neighborhood, Mm. you know, I mean, there's no no one around here, at least no one around here would let you know that they're old money or independently wealthy. They'd probably be living in the Buckhead section, Mm. but um, you know, it's, we don't see them around here, but, I wouldn't, if the police were coming around here, you know, and my, my whole, where I live is mixed. I mean, my, my closest neighbor next to me is African-American, um, Af- African-American, white, Mexican. That That's like my, my neighbors. Mm-hmm. So it's completely, it's completely integrated and everything, but we just don't have any issues here. And if we did, I don't think any of us would want the police around. I think we would have the idea that maybe we get together and we, you know, pull our resources and, you know, come up with something different, you know, not even, you know, we're not going to talk about the showroom yet, but, um, I don't see why tight knit communities, people would not decide, Hey, let's come together and figure out how much this would cost to have someone patrolling the neighborhood. And especially an enclosed neighborhood. Like I was talking about my friend, Mark, yeah. you, you would never have to have, you'd never have to have the police coming through there at all. I mean, really, I mean, most of those neighborhoods don't have a police presence unless they're called. So, um, you know, then at least when you're at home, you don't really have to worry about them um, patrolling the neighborhood and stuff like that. You know, the the monopoly and you shooting dogs and stuff like that. But, um, you know, you'd only have to worry once you go back out onto the road. But, you know, if you're in the commons. But, you know, that's the tragedy of the commons right now mm-hmm. is that they're they're in charge. And, you know, it, it, and isn't it funny that it's more dangerous in the commons than it is in private? Yeah. It's more dangerous walking. It's more dangerous walking downtown Atlanta than it is walking in the right. mall. And and the mall has private security, you know, mall cops, you know, you know, mall ninjas, you know, uh, the the monopoly on violence has tried to denigrate private security as much as possible, but everywhere there's private security, most places there's private security. There's not a lot of crime, uh, less crime than where, where the police are. Yeah. I'm going to call Paul Blart. I'm, I'm on Paul Blart's side. <laughs> I, I, I much, I enjoyed observe and report much more than Paul Blart. That was the one with Seth Rogen. Uh, that was, dark and really fucked up. Oh, really? I'm going to have to and check it out. A, I don't like think I've mall, seen it. Yeah, it's, it's dark and fucked it up. It is dark and uh, fucked up. It's it, right it, up my it, alley. Oh, yeah, man. You got to watch it. I mean, <laughs> I went into it thinking, oh, this is going to be another Paul Blart thing. And then I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is so cool. Oh, wow. But yeah, but, but you know, it's, I mean, I think that's that's one thing people can do well let me you know say you know, but like like new hampshire you got, you got the free state project up there you know in Keene, you know, like Keene, say a bunch of people decided to just all move into the same neighborhood and everything and mm-hmm. you know, they could hire and, and tell the cops go fuck off go do something we're, we're we're libertarians here we're not going to aggress against each other go where there's crime stay away from us let me i mean you could do let that. me play devil's advocate that's done everywhere for just one second okay mm-hmm. So what you're going to hear from a lot of people when it comes to the the Dale Brown experiment is you're going to hear them say, well, this is just, you know, Blackwater version of, of a police department for rich people. How, how do you how do you address that? I don't understand. I mean, are you saying that they're just going to be aggressive? Yes. Yeah. In just their, ab- in their abusing policing? their power. Yeah. Abusing their power. Um, going out there looking to to be renegades, then fire them. Yeah, you can't do that with the police, can you? No, you, you can't. can't do that with the monopoly on violence. Exactly. But if if you have if you bring in private security and they're doing the wrong thing, I mean, why does Blackwater get away with everything? Because they're part of the monopoly on violence. They right. they're they're even less um they're even less accountable than a soldier. I mean. 
I can't remember what the name of the book is. Scott talks about it, uh, where it's just uh, how the the atrocities of Blackwater Z over over the years. And I mean, I I can't believe that so many soldiers would even want to have anything to do with those guys, considering they come in there with the CIA guys and they're bossing them around. Right. That's not what that's not what soldiers signed up for to be bossed around by the CIA and the friggin' and, and some merc. Right. That's insane. Well, it, but a lot of people have the the false pretense that Blackwater is fully private and that everything they do is private. And they don't understand that the relationship between Blackwater and the government creates and gives them the power that they abuse so well. You know, um, another one of uh, Will Griggs articles, he discusses privatizing, quote unquote, privatizing the police. And he's talking about how the the federal authorities and the NSA and police departments are hiring private corporations to go in and spy on American citizens and collect their data, as well as the NSA and the CIA collecting the data, that it's not all you know, um, it's not all government agencies doing this, that you do have companies such as you and I would recognize Google and Facebook and Twitter and these corporations that are working with the government who are collecting subsidies from the government and being propped up by the government in order to uh, conglomerate their power, expand their power and collect this data for the government. Yeah, and that's one of the points that my my friend Monica Perez from the Propaganda Report makes. So she she likes to talk about the public-private partnership, and one of the ways they get around, especially libertarians. You know, we're not oh, it, it's a private company, so we're not supposed to even have an opinion on it. All that right. horseshit. Um, but we're but you know oh you 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 got deplatformed. Sorry, buddy. Well, it, it, <laughs> Google. Twitter, Facebook, I mean, Facebook has proven, takes, shuts down accounts um, if the United States or Israeli government tells them. And that, that was proven Weren't they by shutting Edwin down Greenwald. accounts for Turkey as well? Weren't they doing that for a while? Uh, I, I can't speak to that. I don't know that perfectly, but I do know about the United States government and Israeli yeah. government. So, all right, if, if you're... If you're allowing the government to censor on your platform, sorry, you've lost your private status. I don't care if you are openly traded on the right. market. Same thing with Google. Right. Google is doing the same exact thing. Twitter does the same exact thing. And you can tell because if, if Facebook takes down an account, Twitter takes down the account the same day, maybe a couple hours later. Uh, they're all working in collusion with the government. So I don't care that they're openly traded and that you can buy their stock and that they're private companies and they can do whatever they want. No, somebody's going to have to step up yeah. and test this. I mean, you know, Walter Walter Block sued the, sued the New York Times uh, for defamation, and he, you know, he justifies it in um, using a libertarian argument. Some people may not like it. Some people, uh, some people may not agree with the argument. Some people may. Uh, it doesn't matter. It's, these aren't. You have to be able to fight against the government. And f Facebook is the government. I mean, they're they've basically been set up as a monopoly to gather information on people. Right. And that's what they all. That's what they all do. Absolutely. So I mean, yeah, it, it's the pri it's the public private partnership. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> there is. It, it, it's a more expanded form of regula, uh, regulatory capture. It, it's just just a continuation and natural evolution of it. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's getting to the point where you, know, you can't. No one's gonna op be able to open up a platform. I mean, maybe there'll be a platform that'll come along that'll uh, be able to compete with Twitter and and um, Facebook and. You know, an engine to Google. I mean, DuckDuckGo is a great, a great search engine. There's so much stuff that what pops I up use. there that does it. That that Google censors. I mean, Google openly censors mm -hmm. uh, stuff. You can you can search stuff on Google. You can't find it. You can search it on DuckDuckGo. It'll be the first thing that pops up. Right. So I mean, we know they're we know they're censoring. Well, <clears throat> are they are they censoring it, or is there an outside force? I mean, when people want to talk about Facebook as a private a private company 
I mean, do you know who does their? Because they have the Atlantic Council doing their fact checking. <laughs> and the Atlantic Council. I mean, this is this is a think tank that advocates for killing people all over the world. Yeah, it's insane. Well, to think that they're private. The Atlantic private Council. Companies. The Atlantic Council can't be that bad because the uh, CEO of Burisma is is a member of the Atlantic Council, and Joe Biden is a member of the Atlantic Council. So it can't be that bad, right? Yeah, I mean, there are two, two paragons of virtue right there. Just, just, ama- just amazing. All right. Two of the most corrupt people on the planet. Right. We're getting we're getting close to time. I wanted to ask you one thing before we got to Shamroom, because I know you're on a hard out. Um what do you okay so have you looked into the way that the Amish have been able to kind of keep uh, a segregated you know state outside of the United States I know that there have been cases um, there was the gentleman who was making the salve out of like goat weed or something and um, the the EPA moved in on him and gave him 60 years in prison. But for the most part, the Amish kind of police their own. Do you do you know anything about that society and the way that they do that? I've never looked into it. Uh, my assumption is it's just on religious grounds, and they will leave people alone on religious grounds, especially people who have not been violent in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the reasons why they... You know, the Mormons don't get left alone is because yeah, there's a violent there's a violent history there. Um, the Quakers, I think the Quakers, if they were more like the Amish and like huddled together and there weren't they weren't like, you know, so spread out like, you know, there's Quaker churches in New York City. Right. Um, so you're not you're not being you know, it's kind of hard to separate yourself. But I think if people have a tendency to separate themselves and they've historically been very peaceful, um, you can be left, you can be left alone. Um, I mean, I don't know how much, I really don't know a lot about the Amish. I don't know how much they, uh, interact with the money supply, mm-hmm. you know, cause that would be, to me, that would be like the big thing that if they're, you know, it, if Amish are bringing in a lot of money and they're interacting with the money supply, I mean, I think that's pretty much one of those, uh, one of those things that basically is going to put you on their radar. They're just going to probably come down upon you. But I think it just has to do with his, I mean, being, being around, being on the land forever. And, also, just their peaceful nature. I, I should really look into that and see who has a uh, who has a really good book out there on the Amish and see why. If somebody has written on that, I would assume. And maybe I'll uh, let me see if uh, Gerard Casey's written about it. I, I can tell you some. Yes. I can tell you one thing about oh. Amish people is whenever I first met Beatrix, she was obsessed with Amish people, and they are fucking ninjas when it comes to cameras. All right. It doesn't matter how slow that horse and buggy is going. You are not going to get a clear picture of these people. Well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're private and you're trying to not interact with the culture, with the culture around you, sure. Yeah, they're, nin- they're ninjas, man. It's hilarious. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm like driving up next to these Amish people. I'm slowing down as slow as I can. I still, I can't get a clear picture, you know, but you know, but, but you know, but you do make a good point because it does seem like the Amish, uh, live sort of an anarchist lifestyle, um, you know, it's unto themselves, it, which I think that anybody, anybody who's, who's reads the Bible and believes in the Bible probably <laughs> should want nothing to do with the government unless they bought into the total garbage that this is a Christian nation, right? All that yeah. just propaganda right. bullshit. No, it's it's been it's been something that's interested me, and I just haven't gotten around to reading about. It and I didn't know. Um, I know I know you get hammered on um on on this topic all the time, so I thought maybe you had uh, looked into it a little bit. Um. I'll check Casey's book, Freedom's Progress, and see if he has anything in there. That's just a huge volume of looking at any kind of possible anarchism over the last 10,000 years. Yeah. So. 
Okay, well, let, let's get into the Shamrim and uh, tell me about that. It, this was a, a Hasidic Jewish sect in New York. Am I correct about that? Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, it, they don't necessarily have to be uh, Hasidim, but yeah, that it did start in that community. Okay. Um, it's actually, I was pronouncing a Shamrim for a long time, and then somebody corrected me and said, no, it's actually Shamrim. Oh, okay. So it sounds like there. It sounds like the M's a W, but um. So <laughs> I guess we understand. Anybody who's really studied the culture knows that um, <coughs> Jews can be very inclusive and want to be a, amongst mm-hmm. their own. So there are these. You know, still in New York, people don't even talk about this anymore. There are just Jewish communities and you know, Jewish blocks and German blocks. And, you know, if you go into Williamsburg, there's a Jewish block and a, like an, a, a Muslim Islam block like right next to it and everything. So people congregate by themselves. Well, they started having problems um, back in the 70s and 80s with you know, people committing violence against Jews. So they basically set up their own police force within the city now obviously in new york city being one of the most fascist places on the planet you know they 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 don't operate outside the nypd they actually operate with the nypd but anyone who knows anything about the culture knows that they only do that Mm -hmm. grudgingly uh, because they they would rather just be able to police themselves so, I mean, they have everything from, like, a phone number and a dispatcher, and they have people who go out in cars, and they wear um, – they're not allowed to carry guns or anything like that. But, you know, they wear clothes that, that will – you'll know who they are and everything. And they just basically police neighborhoods. Now, there's a bunch all over um, the boroughs in Queens and, and Brooklyn – uh, there, I think there's one in Philadelphia. There's a couple in New Jersey. There's a few out west. There's one in London. But basically, they just operate like the police, and they go around and they look, and they they don't only protect themselves. It's like I think 50% of the people that they help are, turn out to be non-Jews, you know, in in the neighborhood. So they just basically set up their own thing, and they they police their own neighborhoods and. They've, it, you can go on YouTube and see videos of like in, especially in Hasidic neighborhoods, like the police will come in there and they'll start questioning people and th- they'll drive them out of the neighborhood. You'll see them start yelling at them until the, until the police, you know, get in their car and go away. They just want right. to be left alone. So my idea was when I was writing this article and I also used a story in a speech that I gave once that why can't libertarians do that? You're of the now think about it. These people, they don't believe in the non-aggression principle. They're not policing, even in their policing. I mean, they get in trouble every once in a while for excessive force or, you know, getting someone down on the ground and, you know, and, you know, taking a couple extra shots. But how different is that than the police? Um, But can you imagine if a bunch of libertarians did that in a neighborhood and they were policing upon the non-aggression principle, and you could basically move the police out and um, reduce their footprint in your neighborhood. And that's a really good idea to me. I mean, and that's something that also it would be less expensive than hiring somebody like Dale Brown because most of the people would be volunteers. I mean, none of them, none of the showroom get paid. This is all volunteer. So it's you know it's not like I think they have gotten some tax dollars in New York so that they could uh, wear vests and put lights on their cars and things like that. Um, yeah, of course I'm against that, but it just it makes sense to me that uh, in even now, I mean it doesn't even have to be a libertarian social order. Just even now, you could get away with doing that. You just you know it, it, as long as it's not the local, the the guy who's been arrested five or six times, you know, saying, "Man, we're putting together a um, we're putting together a police force of our own here, uh, a protection force of our own here." Um, but you get upstanding citizens wanting to do this. I mean, really, what are they going to do? They don't even have to help, you know, like they do with the showroom. It just it makes sense to me that we can actually do stuff on our own even now that would just totally 
I mean, we in this neighborhood they have like that um the app next door, and people from you know it, oh you know someone broke into my car and it's like up in five minutes after the person finds out and everything. So there's easy ways to deal with this where we just don't have to deal with the police anymore. I mean, you just don't want the I mean, there's nothing we can do right now about when we go out on the commons and drive around the police mm-hmm. stopping us and everything unless you really want to get you know Hoppa. Hoppa talks about you know, getting really active in your in your town, in your city, and you know one of the two of the first things he talks about when you get to know people and you start going to meetings is privatize the schools yeah. and privatize the police, and well, just start reason, putting that out. There. The reason I find the shower so so, uh, so um, interesting, especially the way that you wrote about it, was this isn't. As you said, you don't have to have the money to be able to hire Dale Brown. You you can you can do this on your own. And so I'm thinking of places like the Fifth Ward in Houston, the Ninth Ward in New Orleans, South Side of Chicago. You know, could actually you know rather than feel like they're being occupied by by this invading force that they obviously don't invite into their neighborhoods, which I mean, it's a completely, um, you know, uh, it, it's a really uh, convoluted conversation to have if you take the Camille Foster view, where where he says, well, the 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 black activists, you know, the Jesse Jacksons, the Al Sharptons, they asked for this and they 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 begged for this and that the the older generations begged for this police presence. Okay, that's that's one thing. Well, yes, well, they, they did. They did. But the, they did. I mean, the war the war on drugs. There's a war on drugs because um, leaders and activists right. in the black but, community. But my point is, is that the younger generation coming up that feels like you know these these kids coming up in on the south side of Chicago or in the ninth ward of new Orleans or on the, in the fifth ward of Houston or whatever, Harlem, whatever they feel like they are, um, dealing with an invading force, much like the people in Iraq feel like they're dealing with an invading force with the United States military. So my point is, is they have the power and the, the ability to mobilize, create their own, community enforcement like you said when you get in the commons that's a completely different story and that's another battle but you can start easing them out of those of your communities and forcing them out into the commons so that you're not having to deal with them on a regular basis as i as i said yesterday on facebook if the police were a net positive people would be flooding the areas with heavy police presence but they're not, and they're not for a reason because the police, like you say, are historians, and they're not there to protect or serve; they're there to enforce the law. Yeah, I mean, there are police officers like to say, "Well, if you don't like, um, if you don't like what we do, we'll right. vote for different lawmakers." But by doing by doing that, they're openly admitting that they are going to enforce the law of whatever lawmakers right, in there, right. whether they're they, good or not. They don't have a mind of their own. So, I mean, wh- what does that say about them? Yeah, what does that say about them? They're right. order follow. They're just order followers. Right. I was just following orders. Another article I put out <laughs> just this past week. I was just following orders, and I mean, it's that that is the mantra of everyone who finds themselves ordinary on the wrong men side of history and after killing somebody or killing have you, have you read ordinary men? millions you know and they were just following orders no but i i, I mean, i've heard so many book. people talk about it. and what's funny is i, I can I, I can i can get it on kindle for yeah, I have Kindle um, Plus. I you would mean, love it, just man. Get it you would love it. You, you it, would really I mean, I enjoy just, it, and it wouldn't yeah. take you. It's not a really long book. You would you would love it. You would uh, you would get a lot out of it. Uh, I can guarantee it. Cool. <laughs> right. Try to make some time. one of the five hundred <laughs> books you have to read. 
Exactly. I know, I know. I got, I got a list myself, so don't we all? But, hey, man, I really appreciate you coming on. I, I'm glad you were able to squeeze me in on such short notice. So um, you have a – Well, I mean, if I just want to tell you, man, if you're releasing yes, this sir. for your 100th episode – Oh, That's man, I appreciate a great it. honor to me. I, I mean, that is that 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 floors me because you know when I had my hundredth episode, I had Tom Woods on, and um, you know that was that was special to me and everything. So you know, if somebody asked me to come on and says, "Hey, I have my hundredth episode coming on. Will you, you know, coming up? Will you come on?" Well, that I just is, hope uh, one day I can be as much of an expert in one area as you are in the police force, even though you didn't ask for it. And so that you ask me to come on your show. <laughs> so one, one of these days, I'm going to figure something out. <laughs> I'm working on it, man. I got, it. I got this idea I'm working on that. It doesn't seem like anybody else is touching on. So it's a, uh, it's one of those things that's nagging at me that I'm really working hard at. Hmm. All right, brother. All right, it was great I, talking I, I to appreciate you, man. It. We'll talk to you. I really later. do. Thank you. Peace.